What's going on? Every buddy, you've got the card board coach here with your boy, Coach Co. And today we've got a very special guest on the podcast. We've got Adam Gray. How are you doing today, man? Dude, I'm doing so good. I love that intro. You've got me hyped up already. <laughs> How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. So, Adam, most people probably, I mean, they might know you by Adam. Depends on if they've had a, have had a conversation with you in the past. Uh, but what do you go by on your social media? Because I, I feel like that's an important, not only introduction to you, but it's a, it's a cool little tidbit about like your personality and kind of like what you're all about. So I'm the real 27 guy on Instagram. Um, I used to be, I was the 27 guy. I still am the 27 guy on the old blowout cards forums and on eBay and in a lot of different other places. But when I went over to Instagram, as usually happens, the 27 guy was taken. And so yeah, I had yeah. to come up with something different. So then I went with the real 27 guy. And now people who don't know me from that, who think, think of me as like the real guy. And I yeah, never, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I never meant to be like the real guy. I'm not like, the. I, it was, it was always, it was always a focus on 27. And so um anyway you want to talk a little bit about where the 27 comes from 27 was my lucky number growing up lots of cool things happened on like the 27th um and so i just always liked the number 27 and um the the real story behind it though is like i always i always had like this lucky number 27 and then and then to make i'll make this sh- i'll make the story pretty short um in 1999 when i was working at house of cards in salt lake city um we got a case of century legends basketball in nice. in the door and I took like my whole, my whole pay, you know, I was working at a card shop. I was working at the house cards at the time. And I took my whole paycheck for like that week or week and a half. And I bought a box. And from that box back in those days, you used to have like serial numbers on the box on the old, like NBA licensed hologram. Yeah. And they were serial numbers like 21 through 33 or something like that. And I asked my boss, I was like, which box should I open? Because he had picked some lucky boxes. And he's like, oh, you should, you should open box number 23. Upper deck doesn't mess around with things like that, Adam. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Box number 23. So I opened it and I got a pretty decent box. I remember I got a Paul Arizon autograph and a Michael Jordan two-colored floor box topper thing. And I felt pretty happy about it. But the next guy who walked in after I bought my box, his name's Barry Dupre, longtime customer, great guy. He opened box 27. And he pulled the single best card that ever was pulled from House of Cards. It was a Michael Jordan jersey autograph, um, number to 23, that he sold a few weeks later for like seven grand. And I remember thinking right then, like, I never need to go away from 27 again. I always <laughs> should go with 27. So that's where it was sort of like solidified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I set up my eBay and my Gmail and all those things at that point. And, and then at that point, I just sort of I went with the 27 guy. See, this is why I feel like I had to introduce you or you had to introduce yourself as the real 27 guy and explain that story because I remember hearing it like a few months ago, actually. And I was like, man, that if that doesn't scream like superstitious collector, which is like how so many of us are in the space. Yes. I don't know what it's, you know, like, totally. And uh, I mean, collecting is a funny thing, isn't it? Like there's we all have our own little like habits and and like. You know, whether it's like a lucky pair of shoes at a card show or, you know, like a lucky shirt or something of that nature. I mean, in this case, a lucky number. Uh, There's just like some some external force just working with you to help propel you along the process. Right. No question, man. Absolutely. I think I've seen a lot of people do that. Like I remember there was a guy who when I worked at when I worked at House of Cards, who was like, 
Like he had to stand in a certain place when he when he opened the box. They had to be done in the same order. It was almost like the cards could magically change inside the pack. Yeah, exactly. How yeah, he went yeah. about it, which is basically the definition of insanity. So <laughs> we're both we're either insane or maybe we're just superstitious. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think all collectors have like like a, a certain level of like neuroses. You know what I mean? Like there's like there's a certain component of like OCD. Like there's just, we're just funneling it in a very you know constructive and progressive manner, especially like as the space has evolved. And I actually kind of want to talk a little bit about that. So. How long have you been in the space? So just for reference for everyone else, because they need to know. I mean, you did mention that you were working at a card shop since 19, 1997 or 1999? 99. 99. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been in, in the sports card and member of the space? So that, that card shop is a good way to sort of reference that. Um, yeah. That card shop started working at 99. But before that, I mean, I was a customer at that shop since either the late 80s or the early 90s and so i'm i'm 40 so i mean i'm that basically means that i've collected since i was like six or seven years old your whole whole life right but the thing that i think is weird about me and that i like that i sort i love that i can tell this part of the story like i never stopped collecting i've collected cards from that time and the only time that i ever wasn't like actively buying and selling cards was when i was in england as a missionary because there was no way to do that and even then I still bought a few packs of soccer cards when I was on my mission. We call them football cards. But yeah, yeah, like that's, I've just collected cards. I still have those packs too. I like, I've collected cards my whole life. I've mentioned this previously on other podcasts and with other guests. I envy people who never stop collecting because, you know, everyone or most people I talk to have had similar journeys where like they collected as a kid and then, you know, maybe it wasn't always, sports cards maybe it was like some sort of tcg or and then they they accumulate these collectibles and then i mean sometimes it is sports cards and then for whatever reason they either have to sell because something happens in their life or you know they go to school or they get married or there's some sort of pause and i always say that if there wasn't a pause the collection that i or these people would have had would be unbelievable especially as we start to progress into the the pandemic years and that's actually something i want to talk about next you're you're exactly right yeah I mean, yeah and, and i here's the other thing though let me just point this out real quick before we move on to that go point. for it go for it like the reality is that you got to an age where you were a cool guy who was too cool to do cards that's I was exactly it cool. that's exactly i was never it. the cool guy yeah, yeah, i was yeah. always the, the weirdo yeah. who was just like, like collecting cool. cards wasn't cool right like it, it just like and, and like no disrespect to anyone who collected cards right but it was just like it it was kind of like a nuance to it and like you couldn't really show off your cards to other people until recently, truly, without people being like, oh, that's cool. But like, I feel like that's too much money to put like yeah. into a piece of cardboard or like of a, of a dude on a piece of paper, you know? Like- you know what it's like? It's like, um, I remember, so in fact, I've got, I've got a friend who who does a, a podcast, um, uh, the Pack of the Future podcast, name's Chad. Chad and I have been friends since we were like six years old. He came to my seventh birthday party. Wow. Um, and he, I remember he, when I went over to his house when he was like, he was like 12 and he, he still liked wrestling at that yeah. point. W, WWF wrestling. Yeah. And I remember ha- like having this moment where I was like, I still like wrestling. He still likes wrestling, but we're too cool to talk about this. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we, we can't talk about this together because that's no longer acceptable for a long time. I feel like wrestling was like that in the same way that cards was like something that people did, but nobody talked about. And yeah. just, I, I was lucky enough to sort of like, just i i like i liked it enough along the way to 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 even 
even though I knew it wasn't culturally like a cool thing, sort of own it. I remember my first girlfriend, uh, I, I had, I had her, my first girlfriend as I, as I was like working at the card shop and I yeah. still felt comfortable about it. And I've always felt comfortable about it. Even in like my professional settings that I've been in, I had got my first really big time job because I was a collector in cards. Um, wow. So, and we can talk, we can talk about that story too, but, but bottom line is I think that a lot of people have sort of like, like had things in their lives that they allow to be um, things that they're, that they're sort of embarrassed by that they yeah. shouldn't be. And yeah. cards, cards was always that way. We just maybe didn't realize it along the way. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think again, that it speaks volumes that like of your passion towards collecting, if you collected during that time, and just did not stray regardless of any sort of like societal, you know, pressures or I mean, however you want to label it. Right. You were just like, oh, no, this is just who I am. I collect cards. I like collecting. And, you know, if you don't like it, then I'm sorry that I upset you. Right. <laughs> like, that's pretty much it. That's like that's kind of where you're at. And so like to my previous question, having had like steady collecting, you know, since 99 and every year along the way, obviously you, you see new sets come out, you acquire more knowledge in the space. You kind of know what you want to go after, what's worth obtaining, you know, $7,000 back then for that Michael Jordan autograph isn't, is, you know, it's, it's not $7,000 now. That's for sure. I mean, there's plenty of ultra modern, modern cards of unproven players right now that are worth $7,000, you know, somewhere to go back in the time machine and say, Hey, I'll buy that card for seven K. Like I'd say, majority of collectors i mean even nowadays you probably see like a 15 or 16 year old pull 7k out and buy that card right so how was it or how has it been seeing the progression not just from you know society's view on cards but you know being in the space from you know early collecting days through the pandemic and kind of where we're at now well there's been so much change um it, it used to be a lot more simple, I think. Um, Do you want to elaborate? Like, what I, well, I'm, I'm thinking about how to yes, formulate sorry. how to formulate an answer. It, the, I mean, you just go back to different different stages, right? So if we go back in time, just five, we go back in time six or seven years. Um, I started the basketball card podcast. I think seven years ago. I think it was 2016. It was the first sports card podcast that I know of. Um, and like, I'd get like 30 people to listen to it. And I thought I was like, brilliant. Right. Yeah. Um, I was, I would listen to the BS report on ESPN and I thought, man, we should have something like this for cards. And that was crazy. Right. I was like, it was this insane idea. And that was before people really started posting cards on social media. So, you know, just take that seven years and look at how different we are, you know, at, at this point, well, seven years before that, even so let's just go in like seven year blocks. Yeah, yeah. Seven, seven years before that. So like 2009, like I hadn't, I hadn't even discovered blowout cards at that point. My only way of communicating with people about cards for the most part was like at a card shop. Um, and then, you know, you go seven years before that. And like, there was nothing that was happening at all on the internet. You were barely, you were still at that point, I was just getting introduced to PayPal. Right. And then, you know, seven years before that, I hadn't even discovered eBay. So like in each of these, in each of these blocks, the, the world has progressed and has changed. Um, it used to be where you could just, you could look at like what a card was selling at a 
for in a card shop or at a card show and what it was selling for online, you could find a difference between those two. And that would allow you to, to, you know, create some profit to then go buy other cards. Um, but, but like the thing that, the thing that's clear to me is that regardless of which stage we were at along the way, I'm not sure which one like leads people to, to being more likely to be happy. Yeah. Um, what I mean by that is like, I don't think, I don't think that the, um, how streamlined the process is. I don't think that that necessarily makes collecting better or worse. I think it's just, it's just that the, the cards are the cards are sort of the medium like yeah. that, we, that we collect. They're the things that we're interested in. They're the things that we're doing with our friends. They're, they're the medium. That's probably the best way to say it. It's probably self-explanatory, but all the other stuff around it, whether it's grading or, you know, like everything, every everything. part of it, even what you're collecting in the cards, like all of those, even the way that the cards have changed. I don't know that any of that makes it better or worse. It has more to do with, who we are and kind of how we, how we come at the, how we come at collecting. If that, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I think about it. I think it makes sense. I think it makes perfect sense. Right. Uh, from a, like a simplicity perspective, I mean, to your point, there was no, there was no content. There was no like market manipulation, you know, for instance, was like, I don't know, everyone going to one shop and it's the shop owner can like convincing everyone <laughs> that this was a, a great buy at like $4. Right. And like, you can't really have that much impact on people. I mean, maybe you pick up the phone and call your friends and do that too. But I mean, at some point you kind of get stunted on how far you can, you can get with that. Right. Like, whereas now, I mean, there's so many different elements to something like market manipulation. There you go. We're good. Um, can we, can we expand on that for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So there was a time where all you needed to do to change the value of something was to see an arrow next to it and Beckett. Yeah. Magazine. Yeah. Um, Beckett magazine was the original like market manipulation. And not not I'm not saying it was deliberately, but no, the way. no, Jim, no, of course. Jim Beckett's is 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 the goat of cards. Let me of just course. Like, I yeah. I, I love I love him and everything he's done, everything he stands for. He's somebody I look up to immensely. But what I'm saying is the magazine itself drove how we thought about cards all the time. All you need to do is see that arrow next to that card, and it was like, of course, this is true, this is right. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like that, that was a magazine that did it, that came out once a month that changed, just changed the whole market. And you think about like, like how that worked and how it works today. And it's like, yeah, we've completely evolved and we've changed, but, and under underlying that the whole thing is, is the same thing. You've still got people today that want to change how you think about their cards so that their cards will be worth more money yeah. and you'll pay more for them. And then, then they sell the cards to you or to other people like you, and then they move on and they do it again and they do it again and again. And that's, that's been the same for, for, you know, that that's a tale that's as old as time. We've, we've seen that forever. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it was more so like it, it was one place that it's coming from versus like now yeah. there's so many different opportunities for, for, you know, manipulation to come, come into it. I mean, someone could make a video and it happens to go viral. And then all of a sudden, like there's a hundred thousand people that are put on, like, I'll, I'll never forget when the, the John Morant, um, card out of Chronicles, his rookie card with key Glock and, uh, oh man, a young Dolph after young Dolph died, that yep. card went from like a $3 card. You find in an everyday bin at, at, at card shows to, I think it got up like 300 bucks. 
And wow. it got up to three hundred dollars for like a few months, actually. And I just remember people justifying. And again, like I mean, maybe it's a three hundred dollar card. I don't know. We'll see how long this this lasts. We'll see how you know if this withstands the test of time. If if this becomes culturally relevant. But I was like, I just remember like this card went from three dollars to three hundred dollars because everyone all of a sudden started to to say that it it's justified because there's these two people in the background, and that's what makes this card very unique, right? And so, I guess my I mean. Uh, just adding on the fact that like things were more simple back then is like just that kind of stuff. It only happened from like one place. You know what I mean? Really from, from the Beckett magazine, truly, or from a local card shop. And that was pretty much it. And there was only so much impact that that thing could have. Now the Beckett magazine had massive impact because that's where everyone went for, for their, their pricing. Right. I I think I, let me just jump in real quick. I think that, yeah. that those stories that are like, how would I how would I define them? Those things that are like one-off nov novice sort of like not gimmicky, but like there's there's stories that you can feel as they happen are are like short-term stories. Yeah. Or quick, like important bits in the hobby. It's kind of like like I keep you see you see people post the same sort of things over and over again real quick when they happen in the in the like news cycle, right? Yeah. Like the, the one that I've seen recently is um, there's a couple, there's a couple things that we've, they're, they're all the time. There's always in every hobby week there's, or in every hobby or day or whatever, there's like certain stories that are, that you see over and over again, like the Wembenyama right now, yeah, first yeah, kind yeah. card signed ever. There's yeah. the, the Tom Brady card. There's like each of each of these things, like I will see them and I will watch them and I will sort of listen to them sometimes. But I don't pay attention to them at yeah. all. They don't. They don't influence me anymore. And because I feel like they're like the nice. They're like the shiny thing that takes your eye off of what you're actually attempting to 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 do. And we all have like, I like that. I like we all, that. We all have like things that we're trying to accomplish, right? Like things that we we want to do most. And a lot of times we'll like go focus on this thing, and maybe we focus on it because we want to make money, or maybe we focus on it just because we want to be in the know. There's lots of different reasons why we might. But for me, what I think it, I found that's worked the best is I don't, I, I say that I watch them. I do to a certain extent, but for the most part, I like have a, a, a filter in my brain that just sort of says like, this is a short-term quick thing. You don't need to think. And I just don't think about it. It's kind of like, yeah. I'll give you another example. You remember, this is still when I was working at the card shop. So this has been a long time ago, but there was the tops card of Derek Jeter that had Mantle and like George Bush in the yeah. background. You ever yeah, seen yeah. that? Like yeah. when that card came out, I had a customer who walked in. He was a great guy. His name was Tyler. Tyler walked in and he's like, Adam, this is the easiest money I've ever made. Give me every box of that. And he literally opened six boxes of it. Opened it all. Got all the cards. He's like, Adam, these cards are, they're, they're, they pull over one a box and they're selling for over the box price. I was like, that's great. By the time he had them listed, by the time he actually got paid for them, they were no longer the box price like that's how quick things moved back then yeah maybe a lot quicker now you know 15 yeah. years 13 14 years later whatever it is like yeah we we need to not see the shiny thing and just assume but I, i'm saying something that everybody knows right this isn't this is like common knowledge at this yeah point. but i feel like i feel like and i'm sorry to interrupt you but Good. even though we know this stuff i feel like sometimes it takes several conversations maybe something said in a certain way for things to really resonate because the first thing I was thinking about as you're, as you're, you know, saying that, like, I, I have a goal in mind, right? Like I know what I want. I know what I, I want to acquire. I, I was looking and I'm like, I just don't think 
and a ton of people do. I really don't know if a lot of people have like a collecting game plan, right? Like, mm. I don't know how many people's purpose in this space. And I'm sure it'll probably evolve over time, especially if, if they're in the space for long enough. And But I just don't know how many people truly have like a, a goal in mind for collecting, right? Like maybe they have like a true grail, but like in the short term, and I say short term, short term could be like three to five, seven years. Their goal is to just like flip up. In which case, like that card might actually entice them. Because You're right. you know, there might be some room on that card, right? Like, right. yep, right. So, I don't know. I don't know what percentage of people are are truly like. I, I I say it again. I don't doubt that these people have like a true grail in mind, right? But I gotta think like how many of those grails have been impacted by sticker prices, even, right? Sure. Like how many of those grails are are exquisite Lebrons and and like yeah, exquisite Lebrons, a gorgeous card. But is it the fact that it sold for th like three million at some point? And like, are there other cards that, you know, perhaps might be undervalued? You know, I hate that term, but it's, uh, you know, relative to market exposure, like that you don't even know existed. I mean, think back on like LeBron, like the LeBron Exquisite, even ten years ago. Like, how many people would like look at that card even? And I'm not necessarily thinking or thinking that they would turn the other cheek on it, but. It, it probably wouldn't have as much allure as it has in it right now because of like some of the, the high sticker prices on them. So to, you know, to, to summarize, like, I just don't know how many people buy things on the short term with their, their specific goal in mind. I don't know how many mm -hmm. people get lost in the sauce along the way. Right. I don't here's know. a, here's my Adam's like, this is going to sound stupid, but it's like Adam's life tip on how to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, again, I, I sound totally full of myself. As oh, I say no, that, so forgive Go me. For but, but like, I think if you, this is one of my rules. I never want to buy something that doesn't make sense with both my brain and my heart. So if something, if I see something and I'm like, and somebody's like, no, there's a chance this thing's going to blow up, blah, 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 blah. I just don't care at all doesn't make any difference to me. Now, yeah. It might be right. right? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. laugh at it later. If they're yeah. right, I sort of go, oh, that's cool. They were right. Yeah. Um, but if I don't love it and it doesn't make sense to me logically, like that's what I mean, brain, like brain and heart, like yeah. I have to love it and really like it. And it has to really make sense to me. If both things aren't true, I just ignore it. It's just like one ear, one in one ear, out the other. I just let it go. But again, I don't know that that's best. That, that, that is like, effective in terms of my goals my hobby goals but it might not be your point is exactly right i think some people just sort of float into the space they don't even know exactly what they're doing and then maybe they float out later but you gotta have a goal otherwise you're not gonna last forever otherwise it's not gonna be interesting in the long term you're gonna you're gonna get in and out but if you do have a goal you know, for me, it's been a 34, 35 year, like love. Right. And I, and I think it'll always be, I, don't, I can't imagine ever getting out of it because it's always compelling. It's always interesting. And I think if you've got goals, I think it always can be. So let's talk about your goals then, man. They've been okay. propelling you for 34 years. Where's, <laughs> what, what are they? What, what is the, is there a grail? Is it like a, you know, are we set collecting? Is it greater than both? <laughs> so 
Today's goals are different than than what they've been in the past. L- okay. Let me readily acknowledge that there was a time to go against a lot of the things that I've already said. Yeah, yeah. There was a time that I was 100% into this like recognition that I could buy something for a little and sell it for a lot. Right. I didn't start that way. I started as a guy who liked cards when I was, you know, in elementary school and like first and second grade. But then I moved from that to when eBay came out, learning that I could like I told you earlier, sell for one price in a higher, you know, sell for more in one place than I could in another um, between eBay and the local card shop. And then when I when I got a a feel of that, um, at that same time, I still collected a lot of things, but it was about the time that I went on my mission and I was able to pay for a lot of my mission with the cards. Um, and I felt great about that. And then I came home and I needed to pay for college and I realized that I could buy and sell cards and I paid for most of my college through, through buying and selling cards. And I just sort of did that along the way. And then I got to the point, and this is, this is interesting. I don't know if I've told the story before. I got to the point where I was like, you know, what would be really cool is I, if I could like, if I could like pay off my house with cards, like if I could get my card value in my collection to be worth more than my house yeah. or more than my mortgage, and I could just pay my house off with cards. Well, that time came and I like looked at my collection and I thought, I don't want to sell my collection. <laughs> and that that time went. And and honestly, and this is true from a financial decision too, from a financial perspective too, the best thing that I ever did was not pay off my house because you know, the market, not only the market is, has changed, but like values specific to those cards have, have changed. And the best thing that I ever did was continue to collect. So, you know, it was financial for a long time. And then probably around, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago, it really like it shifted to like, no, I just love the cards. And, and so the goals, you know, then I started doing my top 100, which is like a, these are my 100 best items. And I always want to be sort of changing and making my collection represent like the history of the hobby and, and my love of, you know, different cards and, and, you know, how can I move up? What would be the best thing that I could have of this player, the best card that I could have of that era or from that set. And I'm always sort of like changing and like progressing in that way. And that's largely been my card goal over the last, over the last six or seven years since I started doing, you know, since I started doing the list, but today, even, you know, I, I think the higher goal is like, and this is, you know, this is really clear at this point. It's, it's education. That's why I do a magazine, right? There's, there's a reason nobody else does a magazine in 2023. It takes a ton of time. It's a lot of work. It doesn't come with any prestige. No one, no one is like, Hey, magazines, Yeah, like, exactly. but like people love it. And the yeah. few hundred subscribers that we have, like they just freaking love the magazine. And so, um, you know, they love reading it. I love getting, you know, notes saying, Hey, Adam, I love this thing that was written. Thank you for publishing that person or this or that. Um, and between the magazine and the, and just the podcast and all the different things that, that, that I've been working on, it's all about, it's all about the cards. It's not about the values. It's not about, you know, the, the business side of it. It's about like why cards are interesting and why specific cards are interesting. And it's about the passion and the education. I always say in content that your, that your content has to do two things. It has to have passion and it has to educate. And if it does both those things, I think in general, you, you win, but so, you know, this, so many people are driven by being popular or by being big or like, like, and I've, I've cared about that at different times too. So I don't want to poo poo that because I've really cared. You know, I I sometimes care way too much about, about people think, but the best version of ourselves, I think wants the best for everybody. We want to further the thing that we're involved in. 
and we don't care so much about what people think about us. And so I think that's, I think that's what we want to aim for, but it's hard to, it's hard to always be in that spot. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if I find it ironic that you're telling me that you care about how people think when you just, you, you collected at a time where probably people were the most critical, you know? So like, if you hack that out, like now this is soft, man, this is, this is great. And I, I, you know, to your point where like, it's not about the values. One thing that I I've made sure to do, I would say in like the last two, three years, every time someone asks me what my most expensive card is, I always tell them how much I hate that question. And I feel like if I say that to enough people, then like it'll, it'll actually click, right? Because that question is indicative of everything that I truly don't care about. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's great that this card is $50,000 or $72,000. But quite frankly, I don't give a shit. You know, like I care way more about how you acquired your $9 card than I do about this card going from 600 bucks to $72,000, right? I don't care. I really don't care. You know, but the best, the best, the best thing I'll do is maybe compare that to like, wow, I can't believe you spent that on. I mean, not, I wouldn't say it's the person directly, but like, oh, I can't believe like this person spent seventy two thousand dollars on this, you know, ultra modern logo man versus buying you know some super super rare LeBron, uh, LeBron or Jordan or Kobe or I mean any anything else. I mean, you can buy a plethora. I mean, sometimes I make jokes about how many lawnmowers could I get for that for that price, right? <laughs> like it's like. It's like it's like if we were gonna break it down into like how many lawnmowers could I buy for that that sports card right there? It's like okay, you can get two hundred and you know eighty three like gas powered lawnmowers. You're like wow, that's that's perspective right there. So um, I think it's important that more of these conversations take place where instead of talking about the value of of cards uh, from a financial perspective, we talk more about the value of cards from like an intrinsic perspective. And that's yes. one of the things that I was like drawn to from you and. It's quite apparent from even your top 100 list, man. Like the the hundred cards, they're not again. They're not based on value. Like I mean, are they are they expensive? Like yes, but that's because like they they mean so much. There's so much notoriety behind those cards, and they mean so much to that space or that era or that player or whatever the case may be. And 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 the value comes second. It's more about you know what makes this card great. Whether it's the artwork, whether it's the print run, whether it's the the new technology that was, you know, unlike anything I, I, this era had seen. And it was the foundations for, you know, some of the newer cards we see, right? These are the kind of stories that are important. And um, I feel like you don't talk about these kind of stories unless you truly passionate. And that's why, you know, I was drawn to your top 100. I was, you know, drawn to your most recent education series. And I mean, you've been trying to educate in some capacity, basically, since you jumped into the space and, and worked at a card shop. So, I mean, you've been doing your your uh, you've been doing your thing out there, so I appreciate you. Well, I want to say a couple things to that. First, I want to say thank you because that's super kind, and um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you saying that. Um, and I, it's good to feel like recognized in that way for a second. So, thank you. Of course. Um, the The next thing that I want to say is that um, I think education is sort of like it's a it can be a two-edged sword. There, there's, there's definitely a reason why people would want to try to educate for their own benefit. This sort of pumping sort of thing that we talked about earlier, like this mar- market manipulation. One of the things that I loved about working at PWCC was I was put into a spot where I had to talk about things that I didn't have any interest in, and, um, and you have to learn how to how to do that. And what I realized is I don't just like talking about my cards. I just like 
learning about cards. Yes. And so an example is yesterday I spent like half a day working on this Pele card. Yeah, video. I saw that actually. They, and it was like 1958 Editora Aquarella. I knew, I don't want to say I didn't know anything about it because I definitely knew, knew stuff about it before I started, but like I spent hours researching that card and found everything that I could online about it and then distilled it down into 90 or like 87 seconds yeah. on like, here's why, here's everything that you need to know about this card in 87 seconds. My job is to let you, the, when I say you, I mean like the people who are watching learn as much about this thing that's interesting as possible. So like, I want to know what the company actually is because the company didn't make a lot of cards. Why, no. why they matter. I want to know yeah. how rare the cards are, why there's the different versions, what's happened even with the pricing. I, I do touch on pricing just a smidge, but like, like the, the, the grading rare, like every part of it, I want to just like distill that down into something that's like consumable. Yes. And yeah. I want people to go, Huh. And I know you know this too, because yeah. you're you're the master of the floating head, the floating head <laughs> too. You you know what I'm talking about. Um, but like these, if I can do that, if I can, if I can like go and research those things and and find the passion for it and then talk about it in that way, I think that people who love soccer or who love Pele or who love that era might look at it and go, you know what, that's something that I want, and that's something that I want to learn more about. And that's again. I've never. I haven't owned a soccer card other than those few packs that I bought. I have so many soccer stickers. So it like I haven't owned with me. Like I so I collected. I started collecting soccer stickers. Like the sports related stuff was soccer stickers. Like from the get go, and you know every Euro Cup or World Cup, uh, my friends and I would go to like the local corner store and we would buy one of those books and like the Panini sticker books and we would fill them out. And every Saturday we'd head over to the local mall where there was uh there was vendors set up uh different types of memorabilia it wasn't massive but it was like a community like almost like community center-esque and whatever stickers you were missing from the week of buying packs you know however you accumulated dollar here dollar there uh you would try to fill out this book and you know every single tournament we'd, we'd fill out these books and that that was that was what it was all about and we didn't give a shit about i mean we cared about value because sometimes like we're like, oh man, $4 for that sticker. Like, man, I can get four packs for that, you know, like, right. or, oh man, that's six, but like $6 for that sticker. Like, let me, I'm gonna try to pack it. Right. Um, And so, you know, it, it really, you know, first of all, seeing, seeing the amount of passion that you put into that, that video and, and, and definitely hit hard for me. Cause I was like, oh man, like I've always, I've always drawn to stickers, but like now I'm even more drawn to it for the, like the fact that like now other people are appreciating it. And, you know, I've, I've a great deal of my collection is, is stickers and stickers that otherwise, if you're going to put a value on them, I mean, like if you look at book value, some of them are like 40, 50, $60. Every time someone asks them, I have no idea how much it costs, nor do I care. Right. Like I'm like, I don't feel like the market appreciate something as much as I do. And therefore I don't, I'm not, I refuse to acknowledge this price because it doesn't even matter. Right. It's indifferent. Like it's not going anywhere. It's staying in the collection. So what, what difference does it make? Like for some sort of, I don't know, like a, a, it's a it, accounting book. What am I doing here? Right. Like, what is it? Why does it matter how much it costs? Yeah, it's just you, something cool that I appreciate. You've hit on this idea a couple of times. I want to hit it and then go, come back to where we just yeah. were. You you want to operate more like an art gallery where yeah. somebody walks in and they go, that's amazing. And you know, as soon as somebody asks how much that's worth it, that's the wrong question. I agree. That's Cards have stock-like principles and art-like principles. And I, I feel much better about the, about the art 
side of it. I want to be on the, this is wonderful for what it is. I didn't just buy it to sell it. I don't think about it as much as an investment asset or a vehicle, although it is, although it is, it is. You need to suspend that idea in your mind to, for it to be actually what it, what what it's going to be. And then, you know, going back to the, to the other side, ah, shoot, I lost it. I lost my, my thought on it. We're talking stickers. Um, we're talking about stickers. stickers. Oh, okay. okay, That's right. On the, on the, the video though, like the, the, the Pele video, what I'm finding, and this is just being real. Like this is like, this is totally true. I can learn about anything in this space, anything. And then at the end of it, come out going, dang it. I like that enough that I'd want to buy it. And, And I didn't think that was true. When I started at PWCC, I would see a Pokemon or a magic gathering card come across the desk that I needed to make a video on. And I was like, this sucks. I, <laughs> and now I'm like, I like, like, I get it, especially yeah. on the MTG stuff. I I've, I've sat with enough passion. I also, I also yes. collected magic for quite some time. I play, well, I didn't collect magic. I played magic. Right. So like, again, these, it's the same thing. We're like, I don't, <laughs> these collectors, man, like yeah. they, they are like, they have collector written all over them. And what I mean by that is like, they care about the thing for what it is rather than just for the value. And so much of our hobby has become totally value driven. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, like the majority of my net worth dude is in basketball cards. Like, so I, like, I'm not saying that that's not important, but when that becomes the whole thing, what it's all about, what people really focus on, what they really care about, they're lost. That's I not agree. collecting. And that, you know, back to what I said in the beginning, I just don't know how many people have like a goal, right? I just don't know yeah. how many people are. Right. I just don't know if they have that foresight, if they've been operating like that, right? Like, and again, it's not to say that you can't change along the way. Like, I mean, my my progression through collecting has been, it's looked so many different ways, right? And you know, there's no right way or wrong way, truly. And in my opinion, as long as you're having a good time, it, that's all that really matters. If we start talking dollars and cents, there's a right and wrong way, truly, I think, you know, like if we've, if it comes down to dollars and cents, I think there's a right way and a wrong way. But if we're just talking about your own like character arc in terms of collecting, there is no wrong way. But I, I also think that you're 100% correct in saying that you need a goal. You need to... And again, I don't know if it's a grail card or just something that I think the best way to do it is just find something that makes you almost feel whole to like look at or research or talk to with your friends. Like, I mean, I go to family get togethers and they think I'm crazy because I, I talk about sports cards or <laughs> signed shoes or. You know, like, like, <laughs> so here's here's my my best story on that. I'm sitting in a sitting in an interview for a private equity firm. I've told the story a couple, a couple of other times in different places, but I think it's, I think it, it it's important. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting in this like private equity firm in Salt Lake uh, in Cottonwood Heights called Mercado partners with a couple of like their executive team. I'm in the interview and I do not feel like I'm crushing the interview. I'm like, ah, crap. These guys are not impressed with me. Yeah. I know I've seen other people who I know are going in, into the interview. They're better looking than me. They're more polished than me. They're cooler than me. I just know I suck in this interview. I can tell yeah. things are not going well. Right. Yeah. And then in the middle of it, like they're both sort of like looking away from me. They're kind of disinterested. And one of them goes, Adam, is there anything different about yourself that you want to, you want to share? And I was like, well, I got nothing to lose. And so I start telling the story about how I paid for my mission in college and, um, you know, my down payment on my house with basketball cards. 
And I just start talking about what I like to collect and how I, how I do it and what I, what I like. And I, they shift from like looking in different directions and their whole body, like being like their body language being like uninterested to like, and especially the the main gal who was like taking care of the interview. She's like engaged exactly with me, like full on with me. And she goes, I don't know who told you to tell that story, but I don't think I've ever heard a story in one of these interviews that compelled me as much as that one did. And this, the, the conversation I'm literally went from not sure that they had any interest in me to having an offer by the end of the interview. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And it be, I'm not joking. It was all about cards. It was all about my interest in the hobby to get a job, like a dream job in the world of private equity. Like there's three of those jobs in, in Utah. Like I got crazy. one of them. That's crazy because of that. So anyway, I mean, passion goes a long way. So let's talk about how you've turned passion into your work, man. So, so, you know, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he's mentioned several times that he's, he works with PWCC, correct? At what capacity do you work with them and how long have you worked with them? So last year in May, um, I'll do the brief version of the story. I was probably not super happy in my work anymore i'd been there for seven years that's the dream job i was telling you about a minute ago yeah. it was great but i didn't have a, a ton of opportunity to move up the ways that i wanted to i didn't find it engaging i get to work and i felt like i was sort of like i could look at my computer screen and it would take me a while to get going just because i just didn't want to do it the same way anymore i wasn't feeling it um i had another opportunity to go do the same thing for a lot more money like way 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 more money and i was like oh man maybe i need to do this talked to my wife about it. I was like, ah, is that what I want to go do? And then I remembered that um, Chris Callahan, previously the marketing guy at PWCC, had messaged me beforehand and said, hey, if you ever want a full-time gig here, let me know. And so I was like, I got to at least ask him about this. So I asked him about it. They put together an offer literally within 24 hours. And the offer was all around marketing. And what I and what I understood that to mean was there was like two components to it. There was the, you need to make content and then you need to manage our influencer sort of relationships. And I was like, I can do those things. And, and, um, I had a great experience there. Um, people sometimes think that when you get laid off, it's because you didn't do a good job. Yeah. That's not true. Sometimes you get laid off because things within a company change. I crushed that job, dude. I absolutely crushed it. I like, and I'm again, no, I sound like I'm full of myself, but like, I, I really helped change a lot of the things within the company. As far as the marketing goes that I think I did a really great job on, on, and I don't think I'm being like, like really like pumping myself up in the process of saying that, like, I really do think that we did some great things and then, and then on the influencer side too, we did some great things, but then, you know, PWCC went from the position where it was growing, um, you know, to become this like behemoth to then they were about to be acquired by fanatics and things had changed. And I think some of those roles weren't as necessary anymore as they had been previously. And so a lot of us, you know, a lot of us unfortunately got let go. Um, fortunately for me though, I got let go and I have, I had the opportunity to continue to do some contract work for them that I'm still doing that I love. I love doing it. It's mostly the content making and, um, a couple of other little things, but, um, so I do still do work for them, but the other great part about it is I get to do it for other places. And so, you know, there's a, a small group of companies that are within the the space now that I get to do things for. I get to focus more on the magazine and I'm still a full-time card guy. Um, and I'd like to continue to see that, you know, grow. Um, but I'm excited to work with the companies that I'm working with and see where it goes from here, but it's still relatively new, right? I've only been not full-time with them for about a month and a half. Wow. 
So from what you actually, let's go, let's go back a little bit. So okay. eBay or eBay. I mean, I do want to talk about eBay. So PWCC <laughs> was first on eBay, right? And then there was a whole fallout uh, where eBay accused PWCC of shill bidding and thus PWCC created their own website. And that, that's what some, some people only know PWCC as today, that the website. And I will say that they've, every time I've done business with that website, things have come quickly. They've come efficient. They've been shipped efficiently. Like it's overnight shipping. I get it in Canada, like in the, a day and a half, which is, I, I, I've always dumbfounded. Um, and I've had nothing but good things, especially early on when people weren't really wise on it. And like, I was getting stuff at absolute steals, but, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so I, I would kind of like to talk about what that was like being there from the inside. Dude. Yeah. Um, because I, I can imagine that was probably a bit chaotic because PwC at, at the time was probably the number one seller on eBay. Yeah. So my perspective on this is really different because yeah. I wasn't actually working in the company yet. Mm, okay. I was still a few months away from joining, but I joined not, I think it was like six months after or something. Um, I joined or maybe like, maybe like eight months after it's been a while, the, yeah. the getting kicked off of eBay. Yeah. Um, this is so. This I'll just tell you my thoughts on. It. I'm like, yeah, I no, that's that's. I was open book when it comes. Yeah, let's go for it. So, um, the when it happened, I, PWCC was our main sponsor, at Basketball Card Fanatic magazine, um, and so it still influenced us greatly. We were like, oh crap, our biggest sponsor is suddenly now, you know, gonna be going under or whatever blacklisted or something right yeah and i got i got calls from three different people within pwcc within 24 hours and when it when it happened just to like say hey adam here's here's what we know here's what we're thinking and it was it was jesse it was my sales guy um and it was it was chris so it was three different you know jesse jason mills and chris callahan all three of them called me within 24 hours and i was like man it's cool that they want me to feel good about this but but the thing that was clear to me was that so PWCC had already started moving off of eBay. Yes, they, yes, they had. That's correct. They yeah, created yeah, the yeah, yeah. premier auction. Yes. They had done like Jeremy and I, Jeremy Lee and I had done our first premier auction show, um, and then this like note comes out, and I've talked to everybody in the company about what it was like, how how it was handled. Like m most of that data, nothing was ever shared with PWCC. PWCC is still like we don't know exactly like. What happened? We don't know what they what information they have. We don't yeah. know what would give them the ability to do this thing. But it, the other thing that's really clear is obviously eBay felt threatened by PWCC changing the way that they were because they were this huge just behemoth on eBay. And well, as were, I said, I think they were the number one. They were the number one seller on eBay, right? So like, imagine that that you you hear rumblings that like they're about to pull out, right? And you're like, oh man, like this is this is not going to be good, right? Because I mean, they could take a run at us realistically. And they have, yeah. I mean, they have like yeah. PWCC does over 10,000 auctions every week. They like, you can say what you want about Brent. You can say what you want about the leadership. Like they have been visionary. They have changed yeah. the world of cards, the, the, the vault four years before anybody else, like everybody and their brother Everyone has tried has to a do a vault. vault since yeah, yeah. 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 Like yeah. I'm telling you, I've watched the operations team. I know a lot of those guys. I know how it works. I've had the same experience as you. Like, the vault at PWCC has been amazing for the, for the world of sports cards. And, um, you know, I, like they were visionary, they changed things. So I, I still don't know, you know, and I don't think a lot of people do what actually like all of the things were that happened, 
you know, who might've been involved. It's interesting to think about who had something to gain from PWCC being kicked off. It's, you can, you can get into a lot of controversial sort of like conspiracy type ideas. I don't know what happened. What I do know is the way that PWCC changed at that point, the way that they were able to pivot, create new accounting systems and like all the different systems that were needed for that time to then create what they have right now. They actually like flourished. They became a very valuable company that, Largely because of that, yeah. the fanatics was well. They almost had no choice. Version. I mean, they did have no choice but to like, okay, sink or swim, right? Like as soon as they got kicked off eBay, kicked off eBay, they they they're like, I have, we have to sink or swim here, right? Like we have no choice. We every move we need to be meticulous and it needs to be with growth in mind, and you know we got to build this thing up now. Blessing we, in disguise, yeah. That's, Bless, blessing in yeah. disguise. Like yeah. it, at, at the time. At the time, the first thought, I guarantee you for everybody was like, oh, we're screwed. But I remember hearing the story. Um, I heard the story from from somebody who was close to Brent, who was like the next day he came in and he was like, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to us. And he was right. Yeah. And, and just for the record, I had I just I felt like I had to ask the reason being is there are some people who have potentially never done business with PWCC. And I know this because I've had conversations with people and one of the reasons why is because they have this at the back of their mind still from that moment. Uh, maybe because mean. it was like when they, when they entered the hobby and I'm like, you know what? Like if we talk about this, maybe people can have like multiple sides. Maybe, I mean, I had no idea truthfully, like what your side was. So I'm like, maybe we could have the same side. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I think ultimately another thing about the space is like, if we just talk about, like, if we just have the conversation and, you know, I always say that there's there's like there's three sides to every story, right? There's like there's your side, there's my side, and then there's there's the truth somewhere, <laughs> right. right? Like we all kind of interpret things how we want to interpret things. So just the more information that we're able to provide, that the easier it becomes again to digest and to, and to come up with your own thoughts and ideas. On the subject of PWCC, they they got acquired by Fanatics. Um, I mean, obviously, aside from the, the layoffs, working with them still. How have you found, has, has anything changed? Has, you know, sentiments changed? What can we look forward to? Yeah. Um, before I, before I answer that real quick, I just want to say like, you, you hit, you hit on something else that I want to touch on and then Go let's come it, back man. to that. Yeah, so yeah. if I, if I don't get back to it, remind me to come I back to it. I remind you. Okay. So there, there was a time where all I did was sell on eBay and I did a ton of it. Like I've sold thousands and thousands of cards on eBay directly right? Yeah. Like listing stuff on my own. Yeah. And then I realized at some point that there is this thing called consignment that allowed me to make as much money, not do any work and be able to focus on the things that I liked doing. And I've never liked selling. I always hated it. And so I started with, um, Probstein one, two, three on eBay. Yep. I've used PC sports cards. I've used ComC. I've used PWCC. I've used, I've used basically everybody. I bought from everybody. I've sold from everybody. Consignment and auction houses are flipping amazing i i think selling on your own these days is really like a a losing proposition for the most part because it takes so much time and effort that you could be spend doing other things at least for me that's the truth it might not be the truth for you so so moving on from that though to to the next question which was remind me yeah so we were talking uh fanatics oh fanatics that's right jumping in and and acquiring pwcc and and perhaps you know any information you have on that and how it's been yeah. So and thank you for, for the reminder. Course, so fanatics, fanatics has been so far for me has seemed um, like they're, they're slowly integrating systems. They're slowly and slowly integrating people and processes and those types of things. 
Um, I haven't had any dealings with Fanatics to this point. It's still been the the PWCC team. It'll be interesting to see what happens with time. Like, does what happens to the PWCC brand? Does it entirely go away? It might. It wouldn't be shocking to me if it yeah. all sort of became and it came under the Fanatics brand. How does that change? You know, the marketing. How does it change the social? What does that change for me? Does it just totally That's, go away? Yeah. Like all that stuff could go away. I wouldn't be shocked about that. Um, but at the same time. PWCC is, I mean, it is one of the bigger brands in the hobby. Um, you know, you think about the way that the company has grown and the things that they've done. I I don't know that they even know the answers to all those questions yet. And um, they have some real talent on the PWCC team in, in really every area. My question is, you know, what, what parts of PWCC were most interesting for fanatics? It'd be really interesting to be part of those leadership meetings to know like what parts of the company that they were most interested to be getting. It might be acquiring. Yeah. Yeah. Like it might be all of it. It might be mostly the operations. It might be a consumer base. I I, I mean, the tech, right. Like huge. Yeah. I mean, 10,000 auctions every, every month. Right. Like, I mean, you're kind of starting, I mean, to our point earlier, segueing from the eBay, like talk, I mean, eBay's the, the biggest seller on eBay created their own platform. You know, if they wanted to go toe to toe with eBay, I mean, this might be a, a great way to start. Oh, it you is. Know, like it, it is. And and to yeah. be clear, to be clear, and I want to make sure this is totally clear. Yeah, I yeah. see a million things that fanatics could be interested in. Yeah, of course. I just wonder yeah. what things like they like, prioritized. What, what, yeah, the exactly. You know, like what are the things that they were like? We need that to be able to like tops when, when, when fanatics acquire tops, it was like, they need to be the ability to make cards. They need the brands. They need all these things. With with PWCC, I wonder what the biggest, most key components of that acquisition were, and what do you think? Do you have? I mean, you said the the auctions, like the the user yeah, base. Yeah, I, I think I think the user base is huge, right? Because I mean, even if we look at Fanatics Live, for instance, and again, like I mean, looking at their social media is not like a indicator of like how successful this is going to be or how how known it is or whatever the case may be. But I mean, if this is going to be their primary uh mover like let's say um you you have about ten thousand users which is like i mean you, you've grown quite quickly over the course of the two months that the, they've been pumping way more marketing. users way Pardon? more users like yeah. there's ten thousand auctions no no so i'm week? saying sorry ten thousand followers that's what i'm saying for 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 fanatics live so i'm saying oh, that like oh, i just yeah. don't think they have a trip i just don't know if they have a marketplace to segue people to almost, you know what I mean? Like I, and I know that they've, they've just imposed, you know, some pretty strict rules on, on some of the tops MVP uh, clients. And perhaps that's how they're going to shuttle people onto fanatics live. But I just, I don't know why anyone would go there unless you're forcing someone to go there. If that makes sense. Right. Like everyone kind of buys and, and sells where they're comfortable already. Cause there's so many different options right now. Right. Whether it's like, Facebook Marketplace, whether it's like Instagram Live, whether it's TikTok Live, whether it's PWCC, whether it's eBay, whether whatever the case may be, people kind of go where they're comfortable, whatnot. And so I just think that acquiring PWCC is like their foot in the door when it comes to like the the marketplace, right? Like, and I think that aspect of it is intriguing because they can kind of show people like, oh, look, like we have a marketplace as well. So you know, we also, we don't just sell wholesale, right? Because like, I mean, right now, Fanatics wholesales minus uh, like lids that sells, I don't know, packs and stuff. But it's really, it's like very, very, very 
it's like for early entrance of the hobby, right? Like it, it doesn't really service people who have been in the hobby for a while, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It's maybe like an it's, entry. It's like an entry point, but PWCC. I think you said that well. PWCC has the people both on social and on their platform, which is in the many, many tens of thousands. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think that's well said. Yeah. I mean, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I do want to know before you we we wrap this thing up is with so many moving parts in the space, as we mentioned over the you know, the course of the last hour or so, what are you looking forward to the most? Let's say if we if we go into this episode 12 months from now, you know, a few days out of the national, what are you most excited about? Most exciting, most exciting thing to me today is the national period. Yeah. Um, you know, we're only a few weeks away. It's been four years since I've been between. Oh, know, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since you went between pandemic, between um, my son had a scout camp that I couldn't get out of. And last year was weird because I just, I'd started at PWCC and there was sort of like this weirdness of like, what do we do with Adam? And then, and then I didn't end up get, getting to go. So like, I'm just excited to meet people that I've talked to a million times and, and see friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And so um, to me, that's the most exciting thing, but I think your broader question is more interesting. And that is, you know, what do you, what are you most excited about how the hobby is going to change and I think, you know, there's a reason everybody wants to talk about fanatics. It's because it changes everything and, and anything is possible. Um, the, the thing that, that that's my, that's my way of thinking through my question and now yeah, giving you no, the real no, answer. I think the thing that's most interesting is that we've lost a lot of the people who were here to just make a quick buck. And we've seen this wild swing unlike the sports card hobby has ever seen between 2019 till today. Never seen a roller coaster like this. It's been incredible. Now we largely have people left who are vested in what the hobby is in cards, in their collection. And we have values that are possible to sort of, enter in it and see positive outcomes last year. If you were to have got in from then till today, it was virtually impossible for you to have a good year. It's great to know that we're out of that world now. At least I think we're out of the, that world. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're still in it. Yeah. But we haven't, I we think, haven't, we haven't bought I think we're yet. out though. I think we're out of that world. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think I would agree with you. I think I would agree with you. I just cause there are so many ways. I mean, if I mentioned this already, there are so many ways to liquidate. There's so many places to sell. There's so many ways to sell. Yep. I feel like if people wanted to sell, that they probably would have at some point, right? I mean, we've had a lot of uh, things happen in the economy even. I mean, inflation is like relatively high right now. Things are not cheap. And so I feel like if people weren't passionate enough to hold these you know, pieces of paper, then... You know, I, I I can't imagine they're sticking around for for like that grand payday at the end of the rainbow. And if they are, at least they have a certain level of patience that they're willing to stick around for for a while. Which means that like something inside them is a collector, right? Like it's because if you think that like I don't know why I bought this, I can't, you know, like why why do I own this in the first place? If you have any sort of inclination of that, I think you've already sold. You know, like so I, I would agree with you in that. 
and I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see content change. I mean, like I said, with you, I've I've seen, you know, your content change, and it's not that it wasn't educational, but now it's it's getting like even more in depth about you know specific sets and you sharing stories from the research that either you you did recently or that you know in the past and i'm excited to see more people share their experiences uh whether that be you know through their collecting journey or in acquiring certain cards or some of the information that's kind of left out because i think one way to keep people around is to continue to share these stories as you said previously you know you're giving them you're giving these these pieces of paper life by by sharing the manufacturing process by sharing where this thing came from to sharing how scarce this thing is maybe how this is the only one graded of this kind ever despite having 50,000 copies right like all these are such there's such interesting quirks and uh, all of those things add to why something is collectible and you know something is collectible for different people for different reasons and, and you know the more we talk about these things there's more people that are okay with collecting and hopefully you know don't end up like i did and stop collecting for a period of time and end up exactly how you did where they just collect straight on through so that's a, what i think i'm most excited about moving forward that's a great answer and let me just add if, if you had if you've had times away um you know, like, like Brendan has here, like, that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. It, not, you don't have to collect forever. If you're, if you're not enjoying it, then there's nothing wrong with getting away for a while and coming back. A lot of people have these breaks along the way. Um, but I, I love your perspective. I love what you're doing with the show. And, um, and it's been really fun to be able to share, to, to be able to share some things today. The last thing that I just want to say is, you you touched you touched on this for a second when a card has a story for more than a second when a card has a story and you know that story and that story is appealing to you speaks to you you like to talk about it that's the sort of card that you want to have but when you have a card in your collection you don't know the story you don't care about the story it doesn't matter to you or you feel like it just doesn't have a story that you want to talk about and that's probably not a card that you need to have in your collection. There's no reason to have a bunch of stuff that doesn't mean anything to you. But when you have cards that like are meaningful, they have a story, they they they're important for whatever reason to you and you like to share them, you like to talk about them, that's a that's a different thing. And so I wish people thought in those terms more of that goes back to your art the art, our art conversation earlier. Um it can't just be a financial asset. The moment it becomes just that, it sort of loses i think it actually loses ironically its value in that in that process well that's exactly it right like i mean the value is what someone will pay for it and you know you you don't you can't justify it anymore right so yeah no i couldn't agree more i'm excited for more of this kind of stuff to come out and uh you know hopefully people truly collect what you like which seems to be like a common theme now that that content has shifted but like i mean truly I hope that people continue to collect what they like and find what they, they like and the their own niche. But thank you so much for joining us today, Adam. I really appreciate it. I know that everyone on the podcast did as well. Team, uh, where can we find you, Adam? 
At the Real 27 Guy on Instagram, you can subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com and um, and uh, Basketball Card Podcast as well. You can Google that. Uh, those are sort of the three different ways. I will link them below for now. Coach Co and Adam are out of here. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Take care and bye for now. Peace.